0: Can I just ask? Shut, shut up, Evan. Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut when, up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut shut up. up. Is it okay if I just ask? Shut, shut up, Evan. up, Evan. Okay, but can I just. Shut up, Evan. I didn't even say anything. Hey, good people. It's Evan Ross and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit, internet culture, and reproductive rights. I am joined by Shut Up Evan roving political correspondent, Brian. Derek, Brian, how are you? And how do you feel about this newly appointed title that I have given you?
2: I'm feeling great about the title. <laughs> um, <laughs> much better than I feel about uh, the state of our world at the, at the moment. But um, overall feeling galvanized after things that have happened over the last
0: 24 hours and excited uh, because it's New York Pride. I wanted to bring you in to sort of uh, give a little bit of table setting and to sort of contextualize the conversation about where we go from here. So to make good on that first part, I think for a lot of us, we saw that this there was a draft of the bill that leaked several weeks ago. And so what transpired yesterday, um, this ruling, it felt inevitable. And yet, I think for so many of us, it still felt shocking nonetheless. Can you sort of talk us through the difference between the announcement a few weeks ago and what happened yesterday and why why yesterday is so consequential for our country. So what happened
2: a few weeks ago was a draft opinion that had been written by one of the Supreme Court justices was leaked, Um, kind of an unprecedented thing in modern times um, for the Supreme Court, but someone who had access to a draft that was circulating had shared that with the press, and that's what sort of set off a firestorm uh, a, a, a few weeks back. It showed that the thinking for the majority of the court was to outright overturn Roe v. Wade, which is uh, the Supreme Court case that guarantees a constitutional right to abortion. Um, and what happened yesterday was the actual decision. So that w- what we saw before was a draft. The decision came out yesterday and it had the same effect, the same impact that that draft had, which was, the five alarm fire, we knew that it would be, which was overturning Roe v. Wade, as well as uh, the Casey decision in, in 1992, both of which um, had reaffirmed that there was uh, a constitutional right to abortion, even if it had uh, limitations on it. So that is is where we are presently. The fight for abortion access now moves to the states.
0: My understanding is when something becomes the law of the land, it becomes the law of the land in perpetuity. But I think what this shows us is that nothing is forever. Is there precedent as far as laws going into effect and lasting for decades and then all of the sudden being rolled back by the Supreme Court?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you have what some would consider an activist court, um, like we do right now with a 6-3 conservative majority, they are more bold and more willing to take uh, that further step to reverse extremely old precedents that have governed um, our society for a majority or or significant period of our country's history. Another example would be the um, New York state gun legislation, gun law, Um, that was over 100 years old, that was just overturned in this past week. Um, And that was a law that said that New York uh, required you to have a special reason for you to conceal carry a weapon in the state, in a majority of the state, unless, unless you had a specific purpose for doing so, um, you would not be issued a permit. And the Supreme Court this week just struck down that hundred-plus-year-old law saying that they believe the Second Amendment guarantees a right to carry um, for self-defense outside of the home, which is the first time that the Supreme Court has said that.
0: So not only is there precedent, but there's precedent from earlier this week, essentially.
2: Exactly, exactly. And th- I, I think that you can draw a direct line from having an increasingly conservative court um, to their emboldened decisions to overturn these, t- these kinds of precedents. I don't know that we would see the same thing if it was 5-4 or obviously if, if we had a different majority.
0: So coming out of yesterday, we saw a lot of reactions on both sides, everyone from Biden to Nancy Pelosi. Megan Kelly, of course, had something to say, and many other conservatives as well. I'm wondering if there was someone's response to this news, uh, not even necessarily someone in politics that resonated particularly for you. Michelle Obama
2: had a really strong response. She, she put out a statement that I think captured the, the feelings and impact for a lot of people, um, I will also point to the dissent. So, if, if you're not familiar with how Supreme Court rulings work, the majority writes an opinion. Somebody, a specific Supreme Court justice, authors an, a, a majority opinion. People sign on to that, making it the majority opinion. And then those who disagree can write their own dissent and sign on together, or do separate dissents, or whatever. And um, I think that also if you look at some of the highlights from the dissent um, that the three what we would consider liberal justices um, wrote, I think that also really captured what's at stake here and the fact that the court is setting us back 50 years and making women second class citizens in this country that will not have control over their own bodies in many places. I will also say there are, when these critical moments happen, there are a lot of different perspectives and a lot of hot takes, especially on social media. And I'm a very action oriented person. And so my immediate thought is, is always not like, what does this mean? And, and what's the historical context, but more so what are we doing and how can we have a path forward to make this better?
0: Right. So, so on that, let me ask you about that because I think that for a lot of people, they're taking a beat to be shocked, saddened, disappointed, angry, et cetera. Um, but as we start to work through those feelings and move to action items, I wanted to bring you in because I know that one of the great things about you and your presence in this world and particularly on social media is that you're able to sort of provide resources for people to actually, uh, you know, services that people can actually take action and lead to change. For some people, there is a belief that this sort of sentiment of get out and vote has started to become a little bit like thoughts and prayers in response to a school shooting in the sense that, is that really doing anything significant? And so I wanted to ask you, for those Democrat democratic leaders right now that are saying the, the path to change is to get out and vote, uh, is that legitimate? Is that is that the best course of action?
2: It is the baseline for any course of action. Um, any path forward from here has to include a intense commitment to civic engagement and to advocating for women's rights, for bodily autonomy, for all people. Um, and that includes voting, but voting is not, on its own going to be enough that is a that is a disappointing call to action from my point of view to hear oh okay they've overturned Roe. Roe is on the ballot in november make sure you vote in november that is you're not going to get the results that you're looking for if you show up every two years or even worse once every four years and vote at the ballot box and so i do think that there the the problem there is that you're setting yourself up for failure if you're telling people oh if we go vote we can change this because I can tell you right now that even with massive turnout in November this problem is not going to be solved in the next two years I think this is like a 10-year problem six at a minimum but I would say more like a 10 to 12-year problem and so to answer your question yes voting is the solution, but it's only one piece of the solution. And there's so much other advocacy and mobilization that has to happen because the threat that we're up against is significant, it is generational, and um, conservatives have been working toward this for decades.
0: Your most recent post on social media is centering must-win elections for abortion access at the state level, which are uh, states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, North Carolina, Kansas, and even Pennsylvania. And I'm wondering, can you explain, sort of, you know, these these people that you put up, their attorney generals, their governorships, um, justices, uh, state justices? Can you sort of explain for people like myself that don't necessarily understand how this all works the difference between, like, why I understand it. abortion is now at the state level. Level, what is uh, what are these votes? What do they help potentially secure us?
2: What we did was we looked at which specific elected offices would have some kind of decision making power in abortion access moving forward. That could be an attorney general. Um, Dana Nessel is a good example. She is the current attorney general of Michigan in a very competitive reelection fight coming in November. She has said that she will not enforce the abortion ban on the books. It's like a 70 year old law, I believe, maybe closer to 90 now, Um, I'd have to look but she has said she will not enforce that ban as attorney general. And so that is a level of discretion that, that somebody in an elected position has where we need those types of offices. Um, governors are able to veto legislation. Um, it's more, there are more shades of gray here than just some states are gonna have abortion, some are not. Um, not every state is going to be able to pass an outright ban, um, especially like purple states, maybe more moderate legislators are gonna hold them back to a certain number of weeks or are there going to be exceptions for the health of the person carrying the the child for uh, circumstances involving rape or incest, those kinds of things. Um, There are also variations in how the legislation is written are there criminal aspects to the regulation that's being passed? Those kinds of things. And so governors are able, in some states, not all states, um, are able to veto um, those, those bills that are particularly egregious. Um, and then you have the Supreme Court At the state level, each state has its own uh, high court, and they will also make important decisions about how to interpret laws and how to interpret the uh, state constitution and what rights are guaranteed by the state constitution. And so we identified eight candidates that will have key decision-making power if they win in November to either block bad legislation or in some way protect access for for people seeking an abortion.
0: And just for some brief context, when you say we, you mean Oath, which is the organization that you founded. Can you just uh, explain for our listeners what Oath is and what its goals and objectives are?
2: I uh, co-founded an organization called Oath after the 2020 election. And the goal was to help people get involved in elections way before it was time to vote. So that can mean volunteering or donating to candidates, either that will represent you or somewhere else in the country. And we have a particular emphasis around issue-based political activism and so if abortion is the issue that is most important to you we want to help you find the candidates and the elections that are going to be most consequential for that issue if it's gun safety What are the offices and what are the candidates? Who are the candidates that are going to be most important to that? We want to help you make those connections um, because after the 2020 election, we saw a lot of people getting involved for the first time, but maybe not devoting their resources, time, energy, talent to the most effective or most impactful places or races. And so we want to help optimize that connection so that you can maximize your impact.
0: For people that want more information, I of course encourage everyone to follow Brian Derrick on social media. It's at Brian Derrick, D-E-R-R-I-C-K underscore. What's the deal with the underscore?
2: There's a Brian Derrick with no underscore. So what, I'm, what am I supposed to do? But why wouldn't you do Brian underscore Derek? You know, it's been my thing for like, I don't know, 10 years.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? Not necessarily, I mean, an underscore kind of sucks either way. So I, whoever this other Brian Derek is, it's kind of like move out of the way. We have a political strategist here trying to like change the fate of our sad country. So I'm going to DM him and tell him that you said that. Let him know. Um, before I let you go, who are you rooting for on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star 7? I'm a Jinx stan. Um, uh,
2: definitely Jinx and Shay. Those are, those are my two for sure. I haven't seen last night's
0: episode though. I have seen it and I have nothing to say about it. Um, Brian, Brian, I want to thank you so much. This gentleman was out until 5 a.m. last night celebrating Pride and still at the last minute woke up to hop on the mic today because he prioritizes correctly. He knows how to have fun, but also get the job done. Brian, I think on behalf of so many of us, not only do I appreciate the work that you do, but I appreciate you taking the time today to come on and explain for people like me what the fuck is going on and doing it so last minute with such poise you've done it before i hope you will continue to do it again and uh you just are the best it's always an honor you're my muse happy pride <laughs> thank you and uh, i'm gonna throw now to today's interview with the great john early Shut up, Evan. he is an actor and comedian who first appeared on our screens a decade ago in a guest role as Jenna Maroney's son Jerome on 30 Rock. He went on to have guest-starring roles on High Maintenance, Broad City, Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp, Love, Difficult People, Bob's Burgers, At Home with Amy Sedaris, and Los Espookies. He is perhaps best known for his breakout role as Elliot Goss for five seasons on Search Party. He most recently starred as Detective Culp in the Apple TV Plus murder mystery comedy, The After Party. That show was recently renewed for a second season. His film credits include Fort Tilden, Other People, Neighbors to Sorority Rising, Beatriz at Dinner, The Disaster Artist, Late Night, and Good Posture. He has performed stand-up at various comedy festivals, including Montreal Just for Laughs, Bonnaroo, South by Southwest, Pemberton, Treasure Island, Outside Lands, Riot LA, and Festival Supreme. Along with his frequent collaborator, Kate Berlant, he has just released the new Peacock comedy special, Would It Kill You to Laugh, co-starring original View co-host Meredith Vieira, which talk about iconic. He is the best. He's a real one. I'm incredibly proud to say I knew him way back when. He is my friend, John early Shut up, Evan. Well, first of all, hi. It's been a minute.
1: I know, Evan. It's so good to see you.
0: It's good to see you too. We knew each other way back when.
1: I know. I was trying to describe to my boyfriend how we knew each other, and it actually I do need you to kind of refresh my memory about the sh- like the short play that we did you direct me in something?
0: No, 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 no. Okay. We were in a class together, you, me, and Allie Stroker.
1: Was it the collage class?
0: I think so. My memory also is not quite there with it, but I have this vague memory of of the three of us working together on a project in which we had to perform in front of the class.
1: Because the only class I took with Ally would have been the collage class because everyone, I think, word got around that that was a very easy A. I mean, the homework was literally to cut out magazine clippings and to paste them on a piece of paper.
0: (laughs) Yes. Anyway, good old NYU. I'm really glad I invested $250,000 to that institution.
1: It's not a real estate scam, I'll tell you that much.
0: But is it a scam? (laughs) Before we get into more, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor. It's June, which means it's Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. (laughs) Which means, like most months, but especially this month, I'm drinking Can, the queer founded, cannabis infused social tonic that I simply can't get enough of. This Pride Month, Can is partnering with Weed Maps to say gay with a star studded campaign celebrating queer joy and inclusivity. Plus cannabis. Their original Pride Anthem, Tastes So Good, and its accompanying music video bring together a number of notable faces and voices, including Gus Kenworthy, Kesha, Vincent, Patricia Arquette, Hailey Kiyoko, MNEK, Cornbread, Carrie Colby, Georges, Drag Race season 13 winner Willow Pill, and forever friend of the pod, the legendary Sarah Michelle Geller. To watch the video and learn where you can purchase can, head to weedmaps.com pride hyphen drink can. And remember it's can with two N's. That's weedmaps.com pride hyphen drink can. Happy pride. So good. And we're back. One thing I really value about you is that despite your great success, you remain accessible. Uh, For instance, you uh, refuse to pay for a publicist, which I think is a wonderful (laughs) thing. It allows people like me to get to you quicker. Is it, I mean, is it all financial or is there a part of you that's just like, from my side of things, it's like things get done a lot easier when there aren't managers and publicists in the mix.
1: When I find out the monthly fee for a publicist, just like, that they keep on generally not even for like a specific moment of like i made this movie i want to promote it which i totally understand to to have to just kind of like live indefinitely with the publicist that you're paying like literally sometimes like seven thousand dollars a month i mean it's completely insane for them to send one email to like new now next you it can you can literally go to if you care that much go to the fucking new now next twitter and dm i don't know like I just don't, if, and if, if I could see proof that like publicists real, I mean, here's what I think publicists probably do is that they win you awards or you can get nominated for awards. I think that's probably the only real value. And like, that seems like utterly soul crushing to like devote your life, to give away like a year of your life to like a, attending like events with like, you know, Academy members who are like crusty Academy members. Um, just so you can get like an award. I don't. It. It seems crazy, but I, I've never seen the point beyond that. I've never seen. I've never seen any proof that publicists have like any more of an imagination than like me or Kate do. Like in terms of like a cool photo shoot idea, you know, like.
0: Well, it's interesting because it's like I've dealt with situations, like very odd requests from publicists. Recently, I had Christina Ricci on the podcast and I reached out to her people in advance and I was like, oh, I'm going to have celebrity call-ins for the show because that's, you know, a signature of this show. And I mentioned that I had, they were like, who is it? And I said, I got Mark Jacobs, Padma Lakshmi, and Devin Sawa. And they asked me if I could cut two of them. They were like, we just don't want to surprise her. And I'm like, they're famous fans of hers calling in, also Devin a former Former co-star and also she's done campaigns for Marc Jacobs it was like one of those odd things where you wanted to like I wanted to run to Christina and be like your people suck um, they're like preventing like, they're, and also um, I'm not trying to name drop here we had Anna Ferris oh. on last season and her people made us cut a question that I asked her about having Rosie O'Donnell on her podcast I just asked about what Rosie was like and they reached out to me and they're like can you cut the question about Rosie
1: it's I think it's just to feel like they have a job god wow well this see this is this is when i was trying to describe you to my boyfriend i was like he's a mover and a shaker (laughs) you you. really had this quality very early on like i would like this is not a surprise to me that you were able to whip like devon (laughs) saw mark jacobs (laughs) and who's the other
0: person you got padma lakshmi
1: padma lakshmi i mean like that is something you could have done when you were 20
0: Well, with having people like you and some of the guests on is like the celebrities I reach out to 99% of the time say, yes, you and I just agreed to do this episode days ago and I got worried. I was like, oh my God, because I need to have at least one call in per episode and it has to be someone that I know that knows you. So I went through our mutuals anyway and I got three and, and they're all big names and I just think that's like, that's sort of people respond. So we'll get to that.
1: This is so cool, Evan. I had no idea.
0: Oh no, we've had Ariana Grande called in for Cynthia Arriva. We've had Sharon Stone call in for Molly Shannon. But we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna keep that that train going today. Now, we are taping this right ahead of the final weekend of gay pride, and this will air in the home stretch of what often feels like the longest month of the year. Uh- <laughs> are you pro Pride? Where do you stand on gay pride?
1: I've never really had a relationship to Pride beyond, like, a kind of, like, strictly financial one, which I would say most uh, people's relationship to Pride is about. I would say most kind of entertainers or, you know, um, a lot of people who maybe pretend to um, be, like, advocates um, is – it's strictly about, like, kind of this is the month where you get some, like – get a nice fat check for a speaking engagement. That's not the case for me. No one asked me to speak on anything. But I – I do like I find that just like whenever I'm trying to book a run of shows, people are like, "What about the last week in Pride?" And I'm like, "Oh, like I, I I'm like oh, I didn't even consider it. like I'm like what like it always shocks me like yeah no that really tends to help sell tickets if it's like a Pride show you know and I'm like okay and and you know so that's the kind of cynical like version of it the the earnest, I've also found, like, when doing those shows, like, it actually is, there is something kind of in the air, you know, people are in a partying mood, and um, I I, I like doing shows during Pride Month, I've never really had any sort of, like, relationship as a kind of consumer (laughs) of Pride events, because I'm, you know, I mean, I think you've always known this about me, like, I'm much to my own, like, disappointment, there's some, uh, I'm somehow, like, a little, like, buttoned up or domestic or kind of pollyanners i I don't know like i I just never really go but last summer when it was like the summer of love and it was like everyone had been locked up because of covid i was in new york shooting search party and i i've never done this during pride i went like every single night did i i'm sorry to again did you go to the madonna show
0: yes yes we saw yes
1: we saw each other yes that was the first night like i went to that madonna show
0: that's generous that you call it a show because we got two songs (laughs) songs.
1: (laughs) literally two it was shocking um but no it was more just that i there was like you know good music playing afterward i danced for 16 hours and it felt so good and then i was like i was so tired the next day but i was like i'm doing it again and i like four nights in a row i danced till like 4 a.m It was, and I had the time of my life, and I was like, this, I get it now, I get it, I get why people do this, and, uh, but this, I've just had two back surgeries this year, Um, maybe from the dancing, you can maybe track it back to the dancing, so, like, I literally don't even, I didn't realize it was pride, I'm not kidding, like, I, this entire month has just, I've been, like, laying down in this little corner, you can see with my orthopedic pillows, Um Literally just recovering from my second fucking back surgery within the year. So I have I have had nothing resembling any sort of pride.
0: Well, pride in that back pillow, I imagine. It's, it's how <laughs> it's you recover. Absolutely. One thing I'm always interested in with someone like you who plays so many characters. I mean, in this new special, right, we're like cycling through so many different characters... Do you ever feel a pressure in an interview setting to perform, to be a version of yourself that you sometimes feel perhaps the interview is trying to coerce out of you?
1: I only have energy to just be like kind of, just kind of a, steamrolling kind of like earnestness you know like I, I don't mean to say like i'm just me evan like it's just you're always gonna get me at all i don't mean that at all i just what happens is like i do all these podcasts for or interviews or whatever or appearances for like any given project and you you are in this mode of like desperately wanting to people to see the thing you worked so hard on you know so you're just like of course I'll do it yeah I'll do this 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 and then you get the google alerts as the things start to come out and I look at them and I just my I just feel I'm like that's how I talk I don't understand like I, I like I thought I was making a really clear point, or I, I thought I was being funny and it just looks so cloyingly earnest and I and I feel like I'm trying to sound smart and so I think when I'm in the pro- from from that trauma when i'm in the process of giving an interview i the biggest pressure is coming for myself to either sound smarter or to like be just kind of forget it and be silly or i'm just i'm just like whipping myself but um sometimes i feel that i'm being coerced into into some sort of version of myself that's a very long winded way of saying yes your question
0: well i think it's it's interesting too because i feel like a distinction about your comedy and your comedy with kate is it's it's smart i i think it's i i'm gonna say it's i think it is comedy for smart people and i think that just sometimes when you do something that's smart describing the thing ends up being sort of like well if i have to explain it then it kind of it's like if you analyze it too much versus just watching the thing, seeing the thing, doing the thing, experiencing the thing. And I think that can be tricky about doing I think not just what you're doing in comedy, but any kind of like art. Sometimes an artist is best served by their art, and other times they can create the art and talk about it, but not everyone has it's a different skill set.
1: Evan, that's so beautifully put. And more and more, I am like, just let it speak for itself. But then you just really, you just want the thing to be seen. And you're like, if this helps get it seen, then I'm gonna, then I'm, gonna, then I'll fucking talk about it. But like, I, I'm completely with you. I think I'm most articulate as like an actor. Like, I, I say what I want to say about the world when I'm like doing behavior, when I'm like mimicking behavior. I, I am unable to, to say what I want about the state of things. In, a, in the kind of just pure talking form and that's okay and I have to forgive myself all the time unfortunately there is like there is a trend obviously in like journalism over the past I don't know 10 years of just like especially with comedians and comedians being seen as like prophets and philosophers and like are like truth tellers you know it's like there there's in, in such a hilarious way, especially with something like this, like me and Kate are making something that to us is like, pure, just like, from the heart, silly, funny, like it's it, we are not trying to say anything, you know, but there's, there's still such a pressure from people to be like, I mean, like the hell of making anything while Trump was president was like in the in the press cycles of like how is it like when we did this web series 555 like we made it before trump was elected and then it came out in his presidency and everyone was like what's it like to make comedy in the trump era and we're like we literally did it we'd made this before (laughs) like you know so there's there's that and then i also think there's like a real millennial kind of tendency i think we all grew up in a kind of like neoliberal education style (laughs) which is very much about kind of like Like you know, being the best at the job and kind of having a lot to say and like and and never stopping talking, like keep talking, like keep it going, keep it going. There's like a real style of talking you may might notice I'm doing it now, but there's a real style of talking that like you hear it when you hear like a millennial anchor on like NPR or something. Like there there's a it's a and this is what I think Kate is a genius at satirizing, whether she knows it or not, whether it's intentional or not. It's like about just like keeping the floor. You know what I mean? Like, keeping it on you. And so you don't really have anything to say, but you're just going to keep stretching it out and, like, saying synonyms and, like, and kind of obfuscating what you're saying in, in real time and, like, just to, like, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Which I feel like is, like, so part of our, like, weird, like, kind of model UN, like, like childhoods or something.
0: I have that tendency as a journalist interviewing a comedian to want to ask them questions about the state of comedy while also recognizing the fact that, like, There's not an interesting answer to be gotten from that question. And I'm thinking about Rowan Atkinson just did an interview, and it became a headline, and it said, uh, Rowan Atkinson, uh, he says that comedy's job is to offend and people did not like that on twitter and it started getting quote tweeted and obviously it's not that it was taken out of context it's uh it's just not given context right literally
1: of course it's like and i assure you everyone tweeting that did not read the article or the interview
0: not only that but like i think he made a valid point but it was so if you look at the quote tweets the quote tweets are uniformly fuck this old white guy mr bean hello like show some respect but also it's funny because I was talking to Kate recently after her appearance on Mark Maron, and I was saying how much I enjoyed having someone like Mark Maron, who very much is an old straight white guy, interacting with someone like Kate. They they sort of exist on very different planes, but I really appreciated Mark sort of investing. He was very confused by Kate at times throughout the interview, but he kept leaning in, like he was invested in trying to figure her out, which made for such a fruitful interview. And even though I think that, like, he didn't completely stick the landing, he landed in a place that I was like, this was a really entertaining hour. That's
1: amazing. I have to listen to it. Oh, it's really, really good.
0: But I'm kind of just like, I, I think that often comedians are pressured to give a landscape about comedy in a way that no other profession is sort of like, you know, we don't go to doctors and say, you know, what's this, what's the state of yeah. medicine? <laughs> yeah, are we doing yeah. good? Is is this Is this working out? <laughs>
1: Completely. It's so insane. I was just talking to Kate about this the other day, the Rowan Atkinson thing, which is like, stop baiting. Stop baiting like older men and like, don't ask them questions about cancel culture. Stop. You're creating, you, you are doing that so cynically.
0: Exactly. Because I think that there's no answer you're going to get from that question that is going to fulfill a response other than to generate quote tweets of people being angry. It makes me think so much about not to connect Rowan Atkinson to Trump, but it's like this idea of like, if we would just stop being loud about the things that make us mad, like the people that make us mad, and instead uplift the things that we think are good, I think a lot could shift in our society.
1: I completely agree.
0: Let's talk about your Wikipedia bio.
1: Oh, God, I haven't been in a while, actually, I have to say.
0: So it's two sentences long. And it reads, early is gay. He has stated that he is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Oh, my God. Which, two truths, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. If you were to craft the third sentence of your bio, just spitballing here, like, what do you think, what would you add to the bio? Because, I I mean, I think there's some stuff missing.
1: I mean, I would say, like, I'm very kind of, like, dinner-focused. Like, I love, like, like, um, restaurants. It's so boring, though. Like, it's it's so fundamentally uninteresting, but a lot of my life, and Kate's life, too, like, a lot of our like, lives revolve around, like, dinner, like, cooking dinner and, like, and going to restaurants.
0: Well, there's actually a recurring bit in your new special, which is centered around what you call it, the theater of being in a restaurant. Oh? And I'm wondering if you can give me an example of that, because I, I think I know exactly what you mean, but I want... To hear how you define it.
1: Okay, so I can give you an example that happened. Like, I'll I'll give you two examples. So one time, Kate and I were flown to London to be in Men in Black Four. We were cut from the movie, um, but we were there for like fourteen days or something, and we had nothing to do. Like, we they they were. It was clear that they like hadn't made a decision about if they wanted us to even like shoot the next scene or something. We clearly like bombed. <laughs> And so we were like stuck in London, which, you know, not a bad place to be stuck. And we, we, you know, Paris is a very kind of iconic foundational um, concept for our friendship. Um, it's like the first like little video we made that people really loved was just me and Kate talking about missing Paris.
0: Do you miss Paris? Yes. Thank God you're coming over because we can talk about this. Because I can't talk about it with other friends. I can't talk about with
1: other friends. People are scared. People here are scared. It's a fear based culture in Paris. It's a luxury based. It's culture. a fear
0: based culture in America, and it's it's based in fear. Absolutely. I feel like I was born in Paris. Oh my God. Me too. I feel like I'm from Paris. Exactly. With French guys. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> That's the thing is that you never know with them. You never
1: and it, it really has since taken on this kind of like philosophical kind of meaning for us, which I think it does for lots of people, obviously, which is like the romance of Paris and, but like it kind of, it never lives up to the romance and like that's life, you know? And, um, and, but so we were like, Oh my God, we're in London. We can go to Paris. And we had obviously like, you know, I went once when I was like 14 on like a family vacation. um, And so we, we went together and we, we, and it was immediately exactly we were like living the joke of the video which is like we were completely it was like immediately not living up to the expectations (laughs) like there was like no air conditioning in this like beautiful kind of romantic boutique kind of old school hotel where they're like it's you know but we were like sweating we couldn't sleep you know and then like and then we were also like completely unable to be in the moment like we were like The entire time we were just talking about Paris, but we were like, we're here. And we had this, we had this one, I'm off track, but I'll get there. We had this one moment where we were like in the window of this little sweet hotel, looking down on like a street of like Parisians, like dining late night. It was like, it was, it could, the cobblestones, like it was so gorgeous. And we were, we were like staring out of that and for like a split second we were just like enjoying the view and then we turned to each other and we were literally this is not a joke we were like see no one does this anymore no one just sits in a window and looks out like everyone's just we're just always on our phones and then we like heard ourselves and we we're like this is we are walking parodies of ourselves like and we're literally like as we're talking about how no one can be in the moment everyone's on the phone we're literally missing the moment that we're referring to which is like looking out on the people like it was it was so funny and so we we, the last night of this trip we went to this like beautiful restaurant and like it was it could not be more romantic and like we were so fucking hellbent on the waitress liking us and like she in a classic kind of french way just like didn't she was so unmoved by all of our like jokes and like and like she she didn't why would she care about our kind of relationship to paris or like you know or the fact that we kind of spontaneously came from london it's like she's not impressed by that at all and so we were just like trying and failing trying and failing trying and failing and like because you know we want to be the americans who don't seem like tourists and so at the end of the (laughs) at the end of the meal after we paid she literally just said to us she was like it was a pleasure truly and we, like, we were like, she walked we were like, did you hear that? We were like, oh, my God. We, we were so excited. We got her. And, like, something about that, like, even, even though I'm sure she says it literally to everyone, we were like, it it completely transformed what had been a kind of like crushingly a privately crushing <laughs> trip <laughs> until we had like fully triumphed. Anyway, that that's that's what dinner is about for us is like kind of the waiter us being the waiter's favorite table. You know,
0: I get it. I mean, especially uh, I, I I see it here a lot. There's just there's so many fun things that that you can do to make the experience of a restaurant so much more than just the food. But I really did enjoy that bit, and there's a recurring bit uh, throughout the special of you guys paying. The check with hot caramel? Do you say caramel yes. or caramel?
1: I say caramel because I think that's southern. I think... Okay, yeah. Car- caramel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right? What do you say?
0: I I don't say it out loud a lot is the thing. Um, no, I
1: know. It always paralyzes me when I start to say it.
0: Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on gay Twitter. Mm. Um, I was just interviewing Joel Kim Booster, and we talked about how the more famous he becomes, the less fun Twitter becomes, because it used to be a website you could go on and just talk your shit. Um, And now, especially if you're someone in the public eye, there's more scrutiny around the things you say. Even um, Ronan Farrow was talking about this too recently when he was on um, the Hollywood Reporter podcast. And he said, like, when he first started off as a journalist and had 20,000 followers, he could tweet things that, you know, had nothing to do with, you know, Me Too or his journalistic pursuits. Just like a stupid, like, I'm making spaghetti bolognese. And now, he's Ronan Farrow, right? So he can't, you know, reduce himself to something like that. He can't make jokes about... Satchel. He can't make jokes about character actresses, you know? (laughs) Um, Do you enjoy Twitter and and gay Twitter?
1: No, this... See, this is... I've, I've really, really learned the hard way of, like, you know, as someone who joined Twitter in, like, 2012, maybe? 2011? I don't know. Like truly tweeting from my little leffert's garden like apartment like trying like high as hell probably on your weed <laughs> 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 we won't go further but like wait so
0: wait but i will say for those that don't know and i'll only bring this up because it's relevant but like So John and I used to get high together with, I have this volcano. I still have the exact same volcano that I use, but this was what, like 2006 or whatever? And like, I thought it, I mean, I was, I was going to say I was the coolest of the cool. Maybe I should reframe it as I thought I was the coolest of the cool, but it's this giant bag. No, it's cool. It's like a plastic bag that fills with vapor. And that was kind of like what I was known as, I mean, as the guy around Tish that, sold weed and had the big the big vaporizer bag
1: i smoked i I smoked out of that very um or smoked can you even say that i vaped out of that machine before i saw robin and cleese at webster hall do you remember that i brought my friend jenny and we like we like sucked out of the bag and then and like stumbled down to see calice and robin um which was honestly one of the greatest nights of my life
0: you made me a cd do you remember this beyond milkshake yes
1: an actual cdr
0: you made me a cd you made me a cd
1: that's beautiful now what was i oh wait
0: social media sorry
1: oh social media no i have when i was you know tweeting high out of my mind i a lot of the stand up i was doing early on was very much just kind of like cultural commentary you know like as as with many gays it's like for some reason, we're fixated on pop culture and actresses, and you know, and so I that was very much like my um bread and butter, my point of view. I, I, I mean, I came by it very earnestly, but like, so, so I use Twitter obviously as a, a, a platform to like kind of try out make those jokes, you know, and um, and I'm a hater, you know, like I'm uh, you know, I'm my. The fuel for my like kind of cultural criticism, if you can even call it something that lofty, is like hate. <laughs> it's like a you know a horror you know of staring out at the you know the abyss that is like our our totally degraded popular culture, and like I, so so I don't know like that that just is the kind of stuff I used to tweet and this kind of stuff I used to do on stage. And there were, I didn't even think twice about like saying something about someone famous or like getting in trouble or, you know, um, but I, as my profile rose, there was like a real like kind of growing period where I was, where I was realizing very painfully that I kind of couldn't do that anymore. And I was like, and I would kind of like walk up to the edge a little bit. This is, like, after I've already been on, like, two or three seasons of Search Party, you know, which, like, you know, certainly not, like, a household, <laughs> you know, TV show hit. But, like, I still I, – I, and it's honestly because of that. It's because, like, some of this – like, me and Kate are, like, little kind of coastal, like, niche, like, little – you know we we have a little niche rarefied following and like and and search party was always a little boutique kind of like hidden show that no one really talked about, you know so i've I've always felt very protected by that and then sometimes I would still I would go to Twitter and be like vicious about something and then it would really bite me in the ass like i've I've had some very I've had one particular which I will not say who Evan, maybe I'll text you later, but like I've had one very particular powerful powerful actress who i really this is what's actually painful about is like it's someone who i like deeply admire and like who's very like influential to me like i've had when i you know asked her to do something like a, a couple years ago like a kind of political like you know fundraiser thing she like kind of like brought out an old tweet of mine and was like oh is this you and i was like a tweet where I was kind of like vicious about like something she was in, you know, and like it was devastating. And that's when I, and I, and you know, part of me was like, Hey, like this is, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my art. I'm like a, you know, I'm, I'm scathing about like certain things in the culture, you know, like I, I stand by it. But then I also am like, I know what it feels like to fucking see a tweet about you that like hurts, you know, and that like just gets in there and never leaves. Like, so like, I don't, blame her you know like I, I don't know it was very complicated and then and that was when I was just like you know what I have to stop I have to kind of grow up and move on and thank god I had any sort of force you know pushing me away from Twitter because it's such a scary place
0: it is but conversely I feel like because people like you or Joel scale back I feel like less funny people are able to put out similar tweets that go viral and then are able to take those viral tweets and do partnerships for pride month with big brands and getting paid tons of money. And so it's just sort of like, I hear what you're saying. It makes total sense. Uh, But it's also sort of like, it's an unfortunate uh, aspect of success that actually uh, hinders uh, the thing that perhaps helped you get successful in some ways. Before we get deeper into it, let's take a quick break and check in with today's sponsor. Can we talk about Sunday Riley? Not only is it the name of not one, but two of my favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters, it also just so happens to be one of my favorite skincare brands. Sunday Riley uses advanced, clinically proven ingredients blended with balancing botanicals for non-irritating, fast-acting formulas. Just because the end of times might be near doesn't mean you can't have great skin. Some of my current obsessions include their global best selling Good Genes All in One Lactic Acid Treatment, CEO 15% Vitamin C Brightening Serum, and their Auto Correct Brightening and Depuffing Eye Contour Cream. As a person with notoriously puffy eyes, the last one is a really saving grace. If you want to visibly improve the look and feel of your skin, look no further than Sunday Riley. Sunday Riley is available at Sephora and Sephora.com. And we're back. There was a 2018 headline in The Guardian and it read, Goodbye Lena Dunham, Why John Early is Millennial Comedy's New King. Oh, I hated that so much. So I wanted to bring Lena Dunham into the conversation.
2: <gasps> Hi, John. This is Lena Dunham. And my question for you is super personal. Do you like to sleep with a top sheet or no? No. Is your preference a solid quilt or a blanket with a duvet cover? Just give me a sense of your bed setup. Sending love.
1: Oh, my God. The hard-hitting questions Yeah, from exactly. Lena. That is so beautiful. And I feel like whether she knows it, it might be subconscious. I do feel like this is kind of an allusion to Paris. The kind of, again, the foundational like text of me and Kate's friendship, which is like I love how people, people love to explain that in Paris or like in Europe that there's no top sheet you know that's like oh they just use a duvet there's I, that's just like a favorite it's similar to the way people love to tell you that your body's made of 70 percent water
0: well also in speaking of theater though there's like the theater of reacting to those facts of like when someone respectable <laughs> tells you that and you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. sort of perform yeah. the wow that's neat
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely well I would so I'll tell you what um I like any sort of kind of American sheep have just like I've used a top sheet for years. Um I love I love cotton sheets. My my boyfriend is kind of like ra- born and raised in Vermont. Like really understands how things are made, like how like how how buildings work, how like you know like he understands like textures and like he's like a woodsy boy, you know. And so like there's he has really helped me understand like i'm sure evan that like when we got to new york as like 18 year olds like we went straight to bed bath and beyond and got like some crazy ass like polyester sheet that was like 6.99 you know or or the worse, the jersey oh the jersey sheets that for, we're like it feels like a t-shirt I was like so seduced by that. I was like, you guys, know it's like your kind of oldest T-shirt. Maybe you're sleeping in it, you know? It's like, and that I've still kind of I feel like I have a very kind of adolescent kind of like relationship to those kind of things. And and Gordon has turned me on to just like 100% cotton, just cotton, like nothing fancy, just like nice cotton, crisp cotton sheets. And um, so I really like a crisp cotton sheet. I also love a quilt Lena brought it up I never knew that about myself but I'm sorry to my boyfriend <laughs> he made me a quilt for a Christmas one year like a really beautiful quilt and like it is and I was kind of like huh that'll be a nice throw but like it is actually like there's something it's it's very breathable like a proper quilt made out of proper materials it's very breathable so I use I use a top sheet and a quilt oh and a major thing ikea cooling pillow ikea cooling pillow for the head
0: that's the curveball um for those that (laughs) want to see john and lena together you can go on youtube search john early lena dunham there's a 2015 interview in which uh john a version of john a character that john created uh yeah uh interviews lena and it's just uh it's a spectacle. What's up, you guys? I'm John Early, celebrity correspondent for Above Average, and I just got some horrible news about my family.
1: I'm here with Lena Dunham, script coordinator for Showtime's Girls. Lena, what's up? Um,
0: I'm actually um, a writer and a director and a producer and an actor on Girls, which is on HBO. I-, I actually hope you will bring that back.
1: Evan, thank you. I have to say, to connect this back to what we're talking about, that is one of my favorite things I've ever done, and like that was a place where I felt like I could... Be by kind of making myself the fool in a red carpet situation, I could kind of sub in a more subversive way, like do kind of gay cultural commentary.
0: And you know what? There's actually a thread to that moment in your new special because there's this fabulous moment with Meredith Vieira, one of your co-stars on this special, in which you confuse her for Katie Couric and then also for Diane Sawyer. And in the uh, interview that you do with Lena, you also confuse the name of girls and whether you you call her like a script supervisor on the show and then you say that's the wrong network and then she corrects you. And when I heard the joke in the new special, I was like, Oh my God, I've heard this joke before. And lo and behold, it is classic John Early. So speaking of that special, uh, kind of dialing it back, you and Kate just celebrated your 10 year friendship anniversary back in May. And John, I distinctly remember being at lunch with you and you had just met Kate. You had just met her and you told me that you'd met this person and that you knew that she was your soulmate. And you two have just this unbelievable chemistry. It's entirely evident in all of your work, especially in this special. It's just that sort of finish each other's sentences type of friendship and performance relationship, it seems. How would you describe your relationship with kate
1: our early friendship was incredibly romantic um and it really did feel like just kind of a twin like kind of shocking metaphysical like experience meeting each other um and you know and We've grown up a lot since then, so, like, we're not, like, we're not literally still sleeping in the same bed, you know, like we were for basically two years, but I, but we have, we do, what's nice about starting with that level of, like, kind of romance is that you have something to kind of remember, you know, and think about, and sometimes we'll have, like, like, when we did Jimmy Fallon, um, we got a really nice dinner reservation afterward, her mom without you know without telling us obviously had paid for a round of like Prosecco and the the waitress brought over the Prosecco and like was like this is from Helen Burland, and we both started crying <laughs> and we were like and we were like oh my that was like a moment where I really felt like oh this is what's so nice about like kind of long friendship is you can like kind of have these very you can have these ritualistic kind of moments of like remembering where you started as friends and artistically too and and like um uh, I don't know that that's so yeah we have a very we we like to kind of every once in a while kind of like have a nice dinner and kind of proclaim like kind of have a, a kind of a commitment ceremony or um what do they call when you renew your vows that renewal, yeah, that <laughs> <Vow> renewal. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that so that's part of the friendship for sure. Um, and then there's also just, there's like an ease. There's an ease. Like uh, I, this is this is just something you can't buy, Evan. Like we, when we work together, you know, there are plenty of ways in which, like, when you work with anyone, like you're spending so many hours together, and we 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 can fall into kind of a sibling kind of like, rah, kind of like grumpiness with each other, but like. We also like, we're literally, when we're working together, like, you know, she's picking me up at, like 4.45 in the morning, you know, and we're exhausted. And like, we get in the car and then moment one, I it's just, it always shocks me. We're like screaming, laughing. I can't, it's, it's so corny to even describe, but it's just like, I do think, but I think what it is more scientifically is that Kate and I like to be kind of like out of it. You know, like, I think we really have a very, our friendship is predominantly like us just kind of like, like, you know, like us driving places together for work or like for pleasure and just like, kind of like staring out the way, you know, it's like, I think we often remark on like, that is actually the key to a successful relationship or a partnership is an ability to be like, just totally dumb around each other and to be around someone for hours where literally you're just like on your phone and you're completely relaxed and there's no pressure to be like how are you you know which is i think what we find so funny about like doing that comedically is like things that aren't relaxed like things that are a little more like fraught you know because it's what we have is just more a little more in the bed
0: Quite literally for several years, Not it like sounds that. like. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did love that segment uh, about the two of you with the, that addresses the uh, intrinsic romantic chemistry uh, with the two of you. So in this new special streaming now on Peacock, there is a recurring segment throughout moderated by the great Meredith Vieira, original cast member of The View, Bring Her Back, Please, in which you and Kate are reuniting 30 years after your friendship ended to suss out what went wrong. You know, it's so funny.
1: Obviously, I haven't seen you yeah. in years. Yeah,
2: I know. <laughs> um, years. You know, I
1: haven't seen you in person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> years. Um, I haven't seen you in person, but I also haven't seen you just kind of reflected anywhere in the culture. So what have, what have you been up to?
0: I've been really good. I've been busy. I've been in New York doing theater. Oh. Kind of a first love of mine but mostly i'm busy with my foundations that is really what keeps me occupied you have foundations yeah i've started many foundations and that's where i really pour my energy what, now
1: what foundations my foundations which ones it's a lot of Wh- work
0: but it's so worth it
1: hmm? which foundation which foundation name one
0: which foundation would i name do you see just, just one know. of them yeah, yeah. which foundation you know and if you come down to so the was office irish.
1: which foundation
0: i didn't go irish at all oh, with that okay. i didn't go irish when i said foundation now she's fully totally irish It's based on a 2012 Three's Company reunion with Suzanne Somers and Joyce DeWitt. In preparation for today, I rewatched that interview. It is must-see TV, but only for people like us. And so I'm wondering if you can explain what it was about this, this moment, which is, for so many people, going to be just a very innocuous, like you know uh, just a simple reunion but you saw something in it I think I'd like to say I saw the same thing um what is it in that interview what what happens cause not a lot happens but a lot happens
1: they're just uh, I mean like quite simply like they're just like on a physics level they're just like saying the opposite of what they feel you know like and there's like a clear um tension and resentment and like anger in the room but they're like gripping each other's hands yeah it's like the tightest hug i have ever seen ever like the and we for time had to cut the hug in our special like we did a full sequence of like we, the were the first cut of the special was an hour and 16 minutes and so we had to get it down to like 50 so like there was like a full sequence of me and kate holding hands and kate and i gripping each other in a hug and her being like you gotta let go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, And like you can see like our nails like digging into each other like so like that was there's there's tons of stuff like that that unfortunately had to go but um, yeah there's there's also like a kind of there's this kind of reworking of their past which I think is very human and very sad and sweet the way like uh, Joyce DeWitt is talking about like never getting um, never being comfortable I was never comfortable with the fame. And and Suzanne Summers actually in a kind of like refreshing way was like, Really? I loved it. And and Joyce, DeWitt, I said, never comfortable with that. Never comfortable with that. And there's also, there's like an intensity too. There's like a lot of like like she grunts a lot, Joyce DeWitt, in the video. And we took that, we really took that very liberally in our in our special. She she does a lot of like, yeah.
0: There's also this expectation, I think, from Suzanne, because it's on Suzanne's show. She had a talk show at the time. There's an expectation that we, the audience, understand the context, which we don't. Like, we, obviously, we understand. They haven't seen each other in 30 years, and we can sort of deduce as to, like, why. Um, But there's a lot of subtext that I think that they expect the viewer to be privy to, which we're not, which I think enriches the viewing experience.
1: Yes. I also think very quickly that just, like, Kate and I fundamentally love, like, when people think it's a good idea to like have a vulnerable moment on camera like like I will like it is I mean and similarly I think that's like sometimes our feeling about just like weddings (laughs) like just like uh, like obviously I've been to very beautiful weddings of people I love and respect it's like you know of course but like some there is a part of me that's always like I can't imagine Like being in love with someone and wanting to be like, let's take it to the streets. Like, let's like, let's like show people. Like, let's like, let's hold each other's hands and like get choked up. And like, trust me, I've gotten choked up watching that. You know, both in real life and on like the fucking Bachelor. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm above that. But like, I do think there's something fundamentally strange about kind of like making people witness these like really private emotions. And so that's, I think, there's something kind of like weirdly abusive. In a meta way about the Joyce DeWitt, Suzanne Summers video where it's like we were like watching something that's actually very emotionally like fraught and intense for both of them and they chose to do it and put it on the internet. It's very weird
0: can't get enough of shut up evan i don't blame you that's why you have to check out our patreon it's patreon.com forward slash shut up evan where you will be able to find advanced access to interviews bonus episodes video clips from the interviews cut for time questions and so much more you don't want to miss out i am fully committing to making the patreon a much more robust experience for season three so again www do people say you know www.patreon.com forward slash shut up evan so you actually replaced adele the legendary adele for a gig in 2018 which reminds me that a friend of yours uh wanted to submit a voice memo no hi this is amy schumer and i'm calling with a question for one john early um John, I guess my question for you would be uh, whose was your favorite ever wedding to officiate? Ah!
1: <laughs> it would probably have to be the only one I've ever done, which was her wedding that she, I love. She really sounds like she's in bed. She's that kind of croaky like morning voice.
0: I love the aesthetics of just like hearing what famous people sound like when they're not like in like famous person mode. It's a uh, it's really it's gratifying. It it, it normalizes us. Uh, us non-famous folk. Um not you, me. Um yeah, so can you share? I, I guess yeah, it's just it's an odd thing to get a call to replace Adele.
1: It wasn't even a call, it was a text. Oh, okay. It was like it was so surreal. Like uh, you know, I she just um She clearly had a sense of humor about the whole thing, hence asking me to do the wedding, like, last minute, kind of, via text, being like, you want to do it? You know, and then... But I was scared, I think, as anyone would be, of just, like, I want... This is obviously a very special day for her and Chris, her husband, and I don't want to, like, fuck it up. And then on top of that, I don't want to fuck it up in front of Lauren Hutton. You know, like, it was, like, too... It was... So there were so many famous people there. It was really quite scary. And anyway, and then the next morning she texted me like, well, you do it as Vicky, a, a kind of Christian Southern standup mom character I have. And that is when I actually felt just a little bit less scared because I was like, okay, now I have some sort of angle. I know how to write this. There's a character, you know, I can be, I can be, she's expecting it to be funny. Versus if it was just me up there, I would say she would be expecting maybe a little bit more sincerity. I don't know. I'm sure she was always expecting funny. But, like, this really clarified it for me.
0: It's funny you say that because it's like my instinct would be like the second that I have to do a character, that would make me so nervous. But I love that in your mind, it's like that sets you at ease, the fact that you've been given an assignment on top of just be yourself.
1: And it helped me. Wouldn't you believe it? Like I, it helped me be more sincere. Like having the character helped me, like actually write stuff that was more meaningful. Like if I was up there as myself, being like, you know, like when Amy first met Chris, you know, like I, like it would have been hell. But like Vicky really helped because Vicky is that is like the point of Vicky is that she's like a really funny, but she's also really sweet. Like people love Vicky. I mean, the character, you know, like so. She kind of allows me to be maybe more earnest than the John persona, whatever he, whatever that is.
0: I'm going to name some people, some of whom we've worked with, some of whom are just random celebrities, and I just want to free associate. So first, uh, Jane Krakowski.
1: I owe her everything. Um, just like, she is someone I always forget. I really appreciate you bringing her up because she is someone who I always forget to cite as like an influence. Precision, precision, precision precision i'm not saying i'm capable of that i say i aspire to that level of precision we we all kind of have been for the past 15 years in culture just like fetishizing kind of like messiness or like quote-unquote vulnerability and like i just love how razor sharp she is
0: Kristen johnston
1: (gasps) just one of the greatest actresses of all time like really kind of untapped as a dramatic actress um really like um really makes me weep when I first came to New York and was at Atlantic Theater Company for, you know, through NYU. She was a teacher there, and I saw her in this play, Scarcity by Lucy Thurber. Yes. (laughs) Did you see it? I saw it too. Oh, she just... Seeing this woman who's like a rubber band, who's like so goofy and tall and such a big presence, like seeing her like weep in like a Walmart uniform, I was like... It really changed something for me. And and I just... I, I really... I really deeply love her, and and I want to see her do everything.
0: (laughs) Little bit of a 180, John Travolta.
1: Ooh. um, See, with men, you bring up a man, and I go blank. I mean, (laughs) I think, I mean, like, you know, I love the gif of him, like, whatever that movie he did with um, Jamie Lee Curtis. That Everyone's always using that gift of him like kind of moving his hips.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about. It's disgusting that we don't know it's this like yeah. yeah, Deeply
1: unsettling. He's like really sweaty. It's so hot. I like know. in a kind of fossy way. Like the hips are very like sexual and fossy and like so I'm Someone's I would just listening say, to this like,
0: podcast right now shouting the name of that movie. It's my favorite thing about I know, podcasting. I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we're and we're just we cannot hear them. Um <laughs> yeah. I would just say like yeah, I really appreciate that kind of star like a kind of um a star of a different generation where like a you can like dance you're like like when like when men were expected to dance for that to be in your like repertoire like that is something i really really miss and then i also just like that level of fame like it will never have like stars like that anymore who are like So, like, so globally famous.
0: It's funny, because a lot of people on Twitter are like, oh, I can't believe that people are, like, seeing Top Gun Maverick. And I'm like, because... Tom Cruise is a kind of celebrity that it's like that Michael Jackson type celebrity that we're not accustomed to because there are so few of them and the ones that we have work so infrequently because they do not need to. But like Tom Cruise is not a regular star. Like he does not need attention. He, he, what he does is the standard. Right. And it's like John Travolta similarly, where it's just like, it's a, Yeah, I wanna say it's a dying breed, but it's almost just but it's not, right? Because if he was able to do Top Gun and come back, it can exist still. Well, yeah, I guess that's dying, right? It's not dead, it's dying. So yes, dying breed. Yes. Dying breed.
1: Well, no, Top Gun is proof that like we do crave we do crave like agreement. You know, like we've all been kind of trained over the past I keep giving this like a you know, hazy number, whatever I'm referring to, just whenever everything got horrible. <laughs> but like, you know, we've all been trained to think that like, we just hate each other and that we're going to always be fighting and that like, if you believe this, if you believe this, 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 you know, what sign I'm talking about, what yard sign I'm talking about. It's like, then you can't possibly believe this, 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 or this. It's like, it's things like Top Gun, I'm sorry, are proof that like, we do want to experience like giant kind of grand narratives together we want to like we do we we can we can't is such thing as like tapping into the universal and like everyone who was there i mean i literally saw i saw dads and sons at fucking top gun like walking out arm in arm it was the sweetest thing i had ever seen and i was like i'm sorry like and but and yet we spend all of our time on twitter talking about how men are so out of touch with their emotions and, and and masculinity is so toxic. And it's like, and I was like, I don't know. Like, did you go to Top Gun?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was really fucking sweet. The power of the cinema. Okay. Last one, our deity of sorts, uh, Lisa Kudrow. An unintentional,
1: like philosopher, (laughs) like, like, like just like her work is so deep and I don't think she even tries to make it. So, which is really a, a good lesson. I mean, okay, I'll say this. I, this is like a, a story from my childhood. I remember showing my mom Romy and Michelle because I was like completely just, I couldn't stop watching it as a kid. And I was like, it, was, it wasn't It was just that it was so fun and colorful and funny. Like there was something like deeply kind of like religious about it and like seductive. I couldn't figure it out. And I remember showing like my mom, a scene, you know, the scene between who you guessed at Romy and Michelle and, and, she was, And I was like what, watching the way Lisa Kudrow was reacting to Mira Sorvino. She was talking and like she was just kind of like her face was just kind of limp. Her mouth was like kind of open, just like kind of mouth breathing, you know, and not doing anything. She wasn't going oh, for the listener. I'm smiling with wide eyes, you know. Um, She's just kind of like dead faced. And I was like, isn't that so weird? I was like, you know, mom, is, don't you find it so crazy? She's like not like it's like weird listening or something. I was like calling attention to it. And my mom was like well, you know, like, I think when you're really listening to someone, you're, like, not thinking about the way your face looks. And I was like, oh, my God. It was, like, truly, like, changed my life. I was like, that is the best acting advice I've ever gotten. She seems very, she seems just very deeply, like, kind of humble. I don't know. And, and therefore, she doesn't assert any sort of, like, narrative on the public of her, like, the greatness of her body of work. Pl- plenty of gays like building the kudra monuments as we speak but like myself included i drew the fucking blueprints um but like i i i just i do think like there is a real like her body of work i think is like very profound it's <laughs> all i'll say uh
0: okay i want to bring on our last guest
2: hi this is um adam pally i have a question for for john early big fan um how do you keep in shape on set you know you're you're shooting i mean you, you, at this point john you must have more days in front of the camera than than off so it must be hard to not only maintain um, like a mental stability but a physical stability as well i just want to know a little bit about what your what your routine is
1: that was genius that was genius. I
0: know, and he was like, "Is this okay?" I was like, "Oh uh, yeah."
1: That is so fucking funny. God bless him. Um, I like to ask him the same question. <laughs> Oof. I mean, he is Hello. so fine. Um, I don't, <laughs> which I think is kind of the is implied in the question. <laughs> I don't do anything. <laughs> um, I as um I've made perfectly clear. I have had two back surgeries in the last year because I don't take care of my body. Um. It's so far out of the realm of my life that I can't, I don't even have the vocabulary uh, to make the joke. I will say that, like, having these back surgeries and doing physical therapy has made me very conscious of the core.
0: (laughs) Two last questions. There is a Twitter campaign begging to have you and Kate Berlant cast in season two of The White Lotus. It has seventy-eight likes as of this recording. I believe they have wrapped production on season two, but if season three came knocking and those seventy-eight likes ballooned to seventy-eight thousand, would you consider?
1: Yes, like we want to be the evil like ants, and I mean aunts, not not ants. But I'll I'll be an ant as well. But like. I really like we want to be in like kids movies where we're like the villains, you know
0: I could see uh, I know they're shooting Paddington 3 right now, but Paddington 4 I feel like you and Kate would be fabulous villains in the same vein as Nicole Kidman's uh, villain turn in Paddington 1 Have you seen Paddington? I just saw it for the first time
1: only two which everyone loved
0: you So you haven't seen the Nicole Kidman one?
1: I literally had no idea she was in it and that she plays a villain. That sounds like heaven.
0: I didn't know either. I'm literally watching. I was at home with family. We're like, oh, let's put on this movie about a bear. And then all of a sudden, Nicole Kidman appears. And I'm like, holy fuck, I'm buckled in. Um, Okay, speaking of viral tweets, I want to end on this. This one actually did go viral. It's from the handle at Soapy Hadid, which is a fabulous handle. And it reads, John Early and Kate Berlant low-key invented a lot of you. A follow-up tweet reads, Queer elders for real, uh, which is somewhat shady. Uh, but I'm just wondering, and that tweet got thousands and thousands of likes. And I'm wondering what you make of that tweet because I think there's a reason for its virality.
1: I've heard that a lot over the past five or six years or something. Um, and it's always incredibly flattering. Um, However, I don't think it's, has anything to do with me and Kate and I think it has everything to do with the fact that I was completely doing Variety Shack like Chelsea Peretti, Andrew Rosen, Heather Lawless, Shanali Bomek like I was doing them on stage when I first started doing stand-up I was doing Kate I was doing um Margaret Cho, you know, I, I was doing Sarah Silverman. I like you just when you first start doing comedy, you're just trying on people's voices until hopefully it synthesizes into something that's a little more like integrated and more you. And like, but I thankfully was doing that in the quote unquote privacy of like actual real rooms like with no cameras there. And I think everyone who's coming up now, who has seen me and kate on the internet seen our videos or whatever seen us do stand-up maybe like probably not though um they're trying things out for the first time on a phone and putting it on the internet so like it gets immediately seen in a way like it wouldn't in previous kind of generations of comedy so like i don't i um i also think kate and i just i think maybe hit a cultural nerve on on a platform maybe first but i think a lot of people just I think a lot of people our age were are absorbing or were absorbing the zeitgeist in the exact same way we were, and we're kind of digesting it in the same way we were, and regurgitating it back out in the exact same way we were. But we got lucky enough to have like a kind of platform for it. So I think those are my those are my thoughts on it. And it's but it's it's very flattering.
0: I would rebuttal only a little bit to say I I imagine yes I can agree with you there is some level of luck to it. But I also think that, like, you two have a particularly elevated skill set that is not, it's not as though there were like a ton out there and you two just happened to be the ones that got it. I think there were a small number and perhaps you were the first in the door, but I don't want to discredit the idea that. I think what you and Kate have always done and continue to do is in its own lane. And one of the great things I love about this new special with you and Kate is that it feels both very familiar for longtime fans of yours, but there are new comedic beats struck. And so it's able to sort of do that tightrope dance. As I said earlier, like the joke with the Katie Couric, Meredith Vieira, uh, Diane Sawyer, That's that's a comedic beat that I've seen you hit before, but you did it in a new way. And so I think that... You, I mean, I hope that you that you see. I mean, maybe it's not even valuable to see it, but I hope you understand. It's like yes, luck, but there's other there's other alchemy here.
1: That is incredibly sweet, and I I will also say like what excites me about this special is like it gives me Kate, a chance... because people do kind of tell us we get we get tweets like that a lot, and people you know maybe like resentfully tell us about like it in green rooms sometimes too, and like I and sometimes I'm like I see what you're saying, but also. I do think a lot of people who maybe think they're doing us or like or, or lovingly you know doing us or can't help but be influenced whatever it's like in the way that I can't help but be influenced by my heroes whatever I'm not to say I'm a hero anyway moving on but um, the you know I think a lot of people mistakenly think that Kate and I are always doing some sort of cultural commentary together and like I think maybe we we do that unintentionally a lot, but to us, it's, like, the primary... Like, what we like to do is, like, behavior, like, psychological dynamics and behavior, and, like, we like to, like, fall on our faces and, like, trip downstairs. It's, like, we... So what I love about this special is it gives us an opportunity to, like, actually just, like, properly act in scenes together instead of, like this kind of maybe more crude like interpretations of what people think we do which is some sort of like cult like mimicry of like millennials like of like entitled millennials like that's never what we set out to do but that's always what people write about us you know and so like i i really to us it's just like we we just love to like have choose a kind of dynamic and live in it for like 12 minutes you know (laughs) and like so so i think that's that's what really excites me about the special
0: like cannot encourage people to check out check it out. It is streaming now on Peacock. <laughs> peacock. 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 Um <laughs> Peacock, yeah. Um John, I have to thank you so much. It's funny, this is such a, a unique experience in that this is the longest conversation we've had in many, many years, and we're the same people, and yet we're different people, and it's so cool. It's almost like in a funny way. This is almost like the Joyce (laughs) with Suzanne Summers in that like we're reuniting after a long time. But we also have this funny vantage point of like being able to see each other on the Internet and like check in with each other in that way. So anyway, but it's just it's very rewarding to speak to you now. And I'm really grateful that you stayed yourself and you're still the John Early that I knew at NYU and loved then. And uh, I'm really, really proud of you and happy for all your successes.
1: Evan, thank you so much. That is, it really means the world to me. And I would just like to confirm for the fans that Evan is the same. Evan has not, nothing has gotten to his head. You are, um, you are just in, uh, w- still wise beyond your years, incredibly charismatic. Um, And it's an honor.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck up, Evan. Evan, shut up. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan.
0: Shut Up, Evan is produced by me, Evan Ross-Katz, with audio editing by Sophia Asmuth and social media by Griffin Dunn. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers for their financial support. And thank you to you all, the listeners, for helping us keep the lights on.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?